warning, we've got quite a long passage uh, that we're going to go through today. And I looked at different ways of trying to cut bits out, but we've got the story of uh, the raising of Lazarus, and um, there's just too much in there. We're going to go through it, and, uh, and then we're just going to uh, enjoy the story together. So that's warning number one. Uh, warning number two, I'm something of a heart preacher, so if you're expecting any uh, wise quotes or uh, things to go in your notebook, uh, you probably have fewer of those today. Um, but I do pray that Jesus would be glorified through this, and I pray that as we go on a journey with Jesus, actually we'll encounter him as well. So Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you uh, move amongst us as we talk this afternoon? So, we are closing out our, our, our series on Simply Jesus uh, with the raising of Lazarus. So, I'm going to dive straight in. We're going to go to John 11, and we'll be reading verses uh, 1 through to 45. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, although that's not happened yet whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man, uh, Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Let's skip down to verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they had thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, 
Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, ever practical, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And I said this on account of people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, bind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. Uh, many of these passages are very, very well known, aren't they? Um, I don't know about you with this one. I can't help but be transported back into a Sunday school uh, where, as a kid, you'd have the somewhat comical enactment of someone wrapped in toilet paper, pretending to be Lazarus, and staggering around in, in grave clothes coming out. Um, so how do we approach this story today? On the one hand, the facts are clear. Yeah, I like to think, what would it have been like if the Gospel of Mark had told this story? Because I, I think Mark is something like a, it's an action movie, isn't it? Um, it's just kind of breakneck speed, um, and he goes straight towards the kind of the climax of the story. You know, it would go something along the lines of, Lazarus was ill, so they sent for Jesus. Jesus warns them that Lazarus is going to die, but tells the disciples that God's going to be glorified. He has a plan. And then Jesus comes into town, wham, bam, raises Lazarus from the dead, and jobs are good. And that's how Mark would approach it. I'm, I'm sure you'll agree with me. But as ever in the Gospel of John, it's like it's not just the destination. It's not the conclusion that's the goal. It's the journey. And it's really stood out to me this time as well, calling it the journey with Jesus. Jesus has got a plan. He has got a destination in mind. But it is the journey with him that matters, and this is something that I'm trying to learn in life, as my long-suffering wife will, uh, <laughs> will tell you. Uh, I'm always rushing to the next thing, and apparently there's even a term for this, destination disease, where you're always heading to the next thing, and our society is um, yeah, uh, epidemic of that one. So, what about the journey? You know, we're about to encounter the ultimate I am statement and the ultimate of the signs Jesus pronounced and performed I am the resurrection and the life the story as we've looked at ends with a remarkable conclusion of a man four days dead stinking dead walking out of a tomb it is the ultimate proof of his messianic identity it should be the ultimate in celebration the ultimate fulfillment of the course that Jesus has set out on. 
well, why does this passage feel so messy then? Maybe it's just me, but can I ask you, given that conclusion of the story, what's your overwhelming sense of the emotion that you get when you read this story and you go through this journey? What words spring to mind for you? It was a happy ending, but why is there so much distress in this story? Why so much sadness? Why, why, why? Hey, I ask a lot of questions. There are many to come. You know, Jesus, why did you wait two days before leaving? You follow his logic in verse 5. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. That doesn't make sense. Jesus, why didn't you do one of your kind of long-distance healing things? We've heard about that earlier in the series. Jesus, you knew the outcome. You know, knew what was going to happen. Why did you get so upset? So many questions. Uh, it is possible to give theological answers to these, but it strikes me that Jesus hasn't left us with a systematic theology to read but where John particularly is exceptional is takes us on that journey with Jesus. And that's what I would love to do today. I want to share the journeys that Martha and Mary uh, go on with Jesus. It means I've had to miss out loads of stuff, so apologies for all the stuff I miss out. But those are the two things we are going to, to go through today. So let's start with Martha's journey. Because uh, I think Martha gets quite bad press. Um, she's often features in sermons as the busybody, uh, slightly stressy, even bossy, uh, whilst Mary often gets the brownie points because obviously in Luke 10, uh, that's the story. She sits at Jesus' feet, listening to him, and gets the commendation from Jesus himself. Mary has chosen the best thing. So Martha, I think, gets bad press, but here she's amazing, actually. She goes straight to Jesus, and you see this in verse 20. At four days into their seven-day morning, she hears Jesus is there, goes out to meet him. It's what you'd expect from Martha. It's somewhat in your face. But what an amazing discourse, that interaction between her and Jesus. And I want to watch that journey of faith that Jesus takes her on. Verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Actually, quite an amazing insight into her faith. Even now the darkest of situations. I kind of sang similar to that this morning. Even now that Lazarus has been in the grave four days, but then Jesus takes her on to the next step. So verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha replies, verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And I kind of want to pause here because for me, um, this is like Martha's just churning out a belief statement. She's affirming the resurrection belief of many first century Jews at the time. I know he will rise again on, in the resurrection on the last day. And I don't know about you, but I find it easy sometimes to churn out belief statements. And I, I can provide examples. Um, I believe that God heals. Hopefully get some nods. Uh, there's a few. And I can point you to in Exodus to uh, where the revelation is given of God as healer. So I've got no problem saying that. I'll sing that song. I believe you are my healer. All those kind of things. But how am I then, and we had this the other week, when there's the request to come and pray for someone uh, for healing. And even as I'm standing here, you know, get the sweaty palms, they kind of beat your chest. Or, you know, that time that you, someone at work is, is not very well. 
I should pray for healing. Uh, someone in our life group um, kind of referred to it. I, I don't think they quite use this word, but the oh bother moment when you know uh, you've got to take that belief and actually act out on it a little bit. Um, I can't remember the phrase. Oh bother will do uh, for this. <laughs> uh, but faith is my belief in action. And this is the challenge that Jesus now brings to Martha. She's gone from a belief statement, listen to the challenge, verse 25. Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Isn't this the ultimate test? Like, consider the ultimate in contrasts that Martha is presented with. I am the resurrection, but he's four days dead, corroding in a grave. I am the life. He could have said the word, and he would have been made well. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. He did die. You didn't show up in time. You didn't answer straight away. Do you believe this, Jesus challenges? He's dead. The stone is still there. It's big. It's ominous. It's blocking everything. The facts of the case don't look good. She has not yet seen Lazarus being raised from the dead. Martha, do you believe this? Does she continue to ponder what he's challenging her with? You're not only claiming you're going to raise Lazarus. He's saying resurrection itself is intrinsic to Jesus. It's so closely entwined with who he is that it can only be found in Jesus. And therefore, it, it's for me. It's for Martha. It's for each one of us as well. Do you believe I am your resurrection, Martha? So was there a pause, right? The passage carries straight on. Was there a deep breath? Martha, verse 27, maybe she looks around at the surrounding mourners, direction of her dead brother, fully aware of the shocking claims that Jesus is making to deity. This was her turn to respond, and she does. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. It's an example of faith being built through the journey, not just by getting to the destination. It'd be easier to see the resurrection, wouldn't it, and then be asked that question. But this is how Jesus works. He takes us on the journey. I want to share something uh, quite close to my heart um, that we went through as a life group through the pandemic, uh, through an astonishing number of coincidences. A mum who had been diagnosed with cancer was connected to someone in our group uh, who'd been through a similar situation with the goal of providing her with support. Uh, you'll appreciate why I'll keep the names out of it. But as you expect, uh, as a life group, we prayed for her, her husband and her young son. God heal. You know the prayers. Let there be peace. Let the treatment be effective. And you know what? We had answer after answer to prayer through this journey. Amazing response to treatment, amazing real moments, sharing about faith. Their son went to a local church a few times and the son really enjoyed it and we were able to bless them with meals and so on and so forth. And we could see God's hand in the situation. And it was looking really positive. But sadly, in January, this wonderful woman did succumb. She died as the cancer spread. Towards the end, when things had taken a turn for the worst, it was looking like she, likely she would die. I went through a real battle, a faith battle. Jesus, 
We want to see more healings. Why is this going the wrong way? How are we meant to trust you? As you could tell, it has a lot of questions. Jesus, how do we handle this as a group? If she dies, you know, it could just destroy what we're, we're kind of building. Jesus, what would this communicate to a family? <laughs> we know we've been praying for. You will lose a mum and a wife. And in the journey, Jesus asks me, do you believe this? Do you believe me? Now, I stand here without answers to what's happened, but I want to tell you what I think is good news, a testimony in the days before her death. We had a Zoom prayer meeting for her. God does work through Zoom prayer. You can join later on. The woman actually joined, stayed off camera, but we were able to directly pray for her, and against the odds, we continued to pray for healing and for peace, and she took the opportunity to share how she felt protected, surrounded by God's love and care. She was still hoping and praying for a miracle, but said she's completely at peace, and she used the phrase, all is well with my soul, and not scared of death. That's someone that doesn't know Jesus, knew nothing about him before. There are tears on that call, of course there were. There's anger, cancer steals and destroys, but there's an answer to the question, do you believe this? Do you believe me? Why? Because Jesus is involved. Jesus is taking us on that journey. I hope that that comes across um, because we saw the wrong outcome, but we saw Jesus involved and we came through with faith and a smile and I'm ready to pray for the next one. Thank you, Jesus. So what is your do you believe this? What is your, do you believe me? I appreciate this is rather, you know, heavy. This is the ultimate of do you believe this when we're dealing with, with death. But what's your, do you believe me? What's your challenge? What's your opportunity to maybe share good news? What's your oh bother moment where you know that the Holy Spirit is kind of nudging you? This is your chance to take what we believe, what we sing, and act on it. Um, I need to carry on. So are you trying to rush to the end of the story like Mark does? That's the gospel, not me. Um, is Jesus engaging you where you're at and drawing out your faith to the glory of God? Don't miss your do you believe this moment. That's Martha's journey. Uh, amazing. Uh, Mary's journey, if we go on to that. Where, what do we know about Mary? She's known for sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's known for her extravagant worship. But here, where is she? Verse 20, Jesus comes into town, and when Martha heard, she rushed to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now, I don't know what you think, but I go, out. <laughs> you know, she sat there, I can't face him. I thought you loved me, Jesus. Why did you let this happen? Where were you? Maybe it hurts too much. Maybe she feels let down. I could be reading too much in, into it, you know. But I can kind of empathize as well. Are there times that maybe you can't face Jesus? It just hurts too much to face up to disappointment. Gone close to my heart dealing with that one, hey? Um, being vulnerable, I have many examples. But, of course, in verse 28, Martha comes to get her, and she comes out, falls at his feet, blurts out the same question her sister asked. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But she doesn't even have that, even now that her sister did. She's just kind of in pain. 
So what's Jesus' response? It's a response that's known throughout the ages. It's a, a, a mind-blowing response. Let's just set the scene again. Remember, we know for a fact Jesus is anticipating one of the greatest miracles he's yet done. We know why he has let this play out. Verse 4, he said, this is all for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. So there is not one moment outside of Jesus' control. There is not one moment of surprise. He knows he's about to demonstrate raising Lazarus from the dead as the ultimate demonstration of his deity. And yet, in the middle of it, we find Jesus just distraught. His reaction to Mary, verse 33, deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Classic shortest of verses, verse 35, Jesus wept. And again, verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again into the tomb. Um, I fear we risk putting our British kind of outlook on this passage when we say Jesus wept. I don't know if you picture a little handkerchief as he dabs his, his eyes. He's a Jew. This would be full-on emotion. This is worth just kind of thinking what it would be like. Tears pouring down his face, his eyes red and blurry. And I hope it's not irreverent. There's probably snot involved as well. It's going to be, it's what Jesus emotion for the pain. Do you see that? Do you see that response of Jesus to the pain? The term deeply moved is even more powerful because it's more than just sorry. It's a fire in his belly. Death is not right. We've seen this compassion. It drives his miracles. Death is it's an anger in the face of death. It's a fiery compassion that, as I say, drove many a miracle. What we make to, to, to make of this show of emotion, you could say, well, maybe it's an expression of weakness. <laughs> nah, the whole story shows God is in control. True sorrow is not a lack of faith. Take that, that's, that's quotable. True sorrow is not a lack of faith. Uh, it's an astonishing revelation, though, of who God is. And I hope I'm not overstating this. Mary was not in a good place. She didn't come to Jesus. Maybe wanting him to stay away. I don't know. She didn't demonstrate the faith that her sister did. But, praise God, we see Jesus, our God, who continues to reach out to us in the midst of the journey when we struggle to look to him. This is our God. This is what it means when we say Jesus is walking our path and feeling our pain. And the phrase has kind of stuck with me. This is Jesus Fighting our corner has kind of stuck with me. That's that deeply moved. I'm feeling it. I'm fighting your corner. And Jesus reaching out to us in our pain. The reaction from the crowd around summarizes it so perfectly in verse 36. See how he loved them. Over lockdown, I, that's another personal testimony, uh, I've been in a very odd place, I don't know about you, uh, I was very, meh, <laughs> the kind of description I came up with, how are you John? Oh, fine, not particularly bad, not particularly amazing, it was kind of just, meh. <laughs> I don't know if you can empathise, it was just a really weird time, wasn't it? Um, and I found it affected my faith, and actually, particularly this phrase, Jesus loves me, 
And I don't know what it's like for you. Does anyone here doubt that Jesus loves them? No, it's in there, right? It's a belief statement. Um, we say it every week, probably, in some shape or form, and I believe it. But I know it's not permeating my heart, whatever I tried. Now, for me, this passage has just brought to life that love for Jesus, uh, that love Jesus has for me. If you want the kind of story, I was driving back from a, a customer down uh, the M40, and I just was picturing that response that Jesus had to Mary when she was just struggling. And as I say, he knows the answer, he knows the destination, but he's just with her and with seeing how Jesus loved her just, just really impacted me. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Hey, I was bawling all my way up the M40, but that's another, another point. There's something about the fact that Jesus is really walking with me through the things I don't understand that's really stood out to me in this. Jesus doesn't answer my myriad of questions, but this experience of seeing Jesus deeply moved, yeah, it's translated that truth that Jesus loves me into, from a fact that applies to all mankind, to something that's so personal, for Mary, for me, I pray for you as well. His love, though, is not just wishy-washy. His love is fiery. His compassion hates death. It hates sickness. It feels deeply when we struggle in our faith. It feels deeply when we struggle to turn to him. It reaches out incessantly again and again and again. So if you're in a similar yeah, situation as me, maybe blessed with a fresh encounter of Jesus passion for you. See how he loves you. Holy Spirit, would you do that in our hearts? Translate that truth we know so well into this. Now it is to have you advocated for us. So Jesus' love, it changes everything. So the good news is, as I say, it's not just emotion. It's a love that changes things. Verse 36, Jesus deeply moved in that place. He came to the tomb. He is heading towards that goal. And you're probably relieved to hear so too. In the impossible, Jesus finds a way. In the complete darkness, he is the light. In death, he is the life. So he does what he says he's going to do. He delivers on the hope that he has promised. He demonstrates his claim to deity. And we move from tragedy to almost a comedy, from tears to the wonderful, hilarious scenario of Lazarus staggering out of the grave, hands, feet, and face bound in cloth. So I don't have enough time to go into that into too much detail, but I did want to state the obvious. I have to briefly underline that it, that miracle, the fact that it has happened, and then the ultimate miracle of Jesus' own death and resurrection, is actually essential in validating everything I've said today. And that's why we've got the, the passages from 1 Corinthians up there. Without his demonstration of power, without that, everything I say today is empty. Worthless, pointless, maybe just positive thinking. And I kind of want to say that. We've been talking about some of these things as a life group and um, how different people cope without Jesus. But it is the fact that Jesus has died and risen from the death that validates that. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But, and it's quite big, but if it's true, isn't this the foundation? 
of our faith that is immovable, isn't that the demonstration of love and compassion that I've been talking about is validated. It is earth-shaking in its magnitude, which is why, struggling to find words with 1 Corinthians 55, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His love changes everything. He has delivered on what he promised. Uh, but that is our destination. If I may just finish off the journey with Mary. We're not quite there. And I'm going to dip slightly out of the passage uh, that I've been allotted. Apologies. Um, but we know from John 12 as well, that passage so well known, where then we see Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. A pint of expensive perfume worth a year's wages. Um, we preach on it regularly because it's such a, an extravagant expression of worship. It's so beautiful. But in this context, what an amazing journey she's been through. We've gone through that pain, the disappointment, the confusion of the unnecessary death. She's seen the demonstration of the awesome power of God to raise someone from the dead. And she too has been brought to that place as her sister has, that you are the Christ, the Son of God. But it's not just a statement. We have then a response that is extravagant in worship. And I just wonder if she has remembered more than the miracle, more than the um, do you believe this, to remember what it is to encounter a Jesus that's so passionate about her that he wept, he was deeply moved, and she just had no choice but to respond with worship. And isn't it amazing when we get to that place where we've just seen Jesus, not only just did you do this, that, and the other, but your love for us just ruined me. And she responds in the only way you can, just in out-and-out -out worship. See his love for me. May that also be for us. We reach our destination then, the conclusion of our journey today. And we see Jesus deliver what he's promised. We have seen the resurrection of the dead. And we leave too with the assurance that Jesus is our resurrection. I fully realise there's so much more I could have said, maybe you should have said on the resurrection itself, but I hope the journey has impacted you. On the one hand with Martha, we have the promise the warning may be that we'll be taken on a wonderfully uncomfortable journey. We have questions we can't answer. But isn't this the situation where in your faith adventure that we find Jesus, where your faith is proven? Are you up for that journey? So my prayer is the next time you get the unexpected twist and turn in your walk with Jesus, you will hear that whisper. Do you believe this? Because that's where it was proven out. And then Mary, just to close out, on the other hand, in the midst of pain, maybe even failure, we find a Jesus fighting her corner. Uh, we find a Jesus that understands her pain more than she does, more than we do. We find a Jesus leading us through the bumpy road we're on. And we see a Jesus whose actions drive that response from the crowd. See how he loved him. See how he loves you. So my prayer similarly is next time. On your twisty, turny journey, your walk with Jesus, um, next time you have to face disappointment, would you come to Jesus and hear that whisper, I'm fighting for you. See 
খাওয়াইলাম দিয়ে